Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. This is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to this week's show. Hello. Hello there. So for our listeners in the Portland, Oregon area, we've got a unique interview today that's coming up. We're going to be talking to Gino Romo who, as many may remember, was a well-known personality here uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I believe was the range. And he's going to be talking a little bit about his career and some of the different things he did. So that's going to be kind of fun to talk about. We also are going to be going into Tech Wednesday's topic and discussing how you protect your tech from power surges, brownouts, blackouts, that type of a thing. This is an issue that they're reporting. So we've got that coming up for you. So we've got a great show for you this week. So with no further ado, let's move on to the news. Cruisin' 2022 is just around the corner. On June 18th, this event returns to Sherwood, Oregon. With over 300 classic and unique cars on display, you can also enjoy the food and shopping options. Bring the family free to attend. Cruisin'Sherwood.org So what do we have in the news? 142 million MGM Resorts records leaked on Telegram for free Download. Yeah. Free download. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, that's a bad thing. So, um, yeah, it's really the, bad. The hack actually happened in 2020 and it's just now being reported. The hacker game, uh, gang, none of us can talk today. The hacker group, how about that? Uh, going by <laughs> the online handle of Night Lion, stole several databases from the breach monitoring site Data Viper. One of the databases belonged to MGM Resorts and contained the personal data of 142 million customers. The leaked data includes full names, date of birth, phone numbers, and email addresses. So you might want to check this one out and update some of those things if you can. This was shared on Telegram, ultimately. So originally, after the hack happened, they were trying to sell it on the dark web for $2,900 on a uh, site called Rainforms, which has been seized. So ah. since that's happened, the database was posted and it can be downloaded for free on Telegram. And in fact, there's a story online where it just has the links to the information. So, you know, again, it's just like there are some times that you just can't secure your information. You can yeah. do everything right and it can still get out. But uh, this is just another one that's good to know about. Uh, again, your information can be used to exploit data, phishing campaigns, scams, that type of a thing. Common online safety practice here, you get an email from someone you don't know, don't click the link. If you want to check something out, go to the website from the vendor. Don't use something that's been sent to you. Never respond to calls, SMS messages. You know, and texting fraud is becoming a big deal now, too. This is another thing to be aware of. I have seen this where we're getting text messages that work kind of like the email scams where it wants you to click on something and respond to the text or call a phone number back or open a website or whatever. And those can be just as dangerous. So you want to watch this all across the board. Volkswagen chief says German car giant will overtake Tesla on electric vehicle sales by 2025. Yeah. And I get the distinct impression that Tesla might not agree. Well, um, I mean, this is their yeah. opinion. I'm assuming. Yeah, it is. You mean so Volkswagens? Yeah. 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 What it comes down to is Volkswagen <laughs> is ramping up right. to be able to build electric vehicles. And it's not just Volkswagen. We're seeing this with most of the manufacturers that are making the switch from internal combustion engines to electrical 
over the next 10 years, where by about 2030, most of the vehicles on the road will be electric. And hopefully at that time, they'll get rid of some of the battery problems and recycling issues and other things we have now. But they and do the work. Way too many computers in the car. Yeah, well, that I, I, I don't know if we'll ever get rid of that. They might streamline it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but um, but at the end of the day, Volkswagen saying that they're ramping up. They think that the supply chain issues that they've been having problems with will dissipate in the next year or two. And it's going to create some momentum. And their goal is to be able to get to a point where they compete with or exceed the production of Tesla on Volkswagen automobiles. Now, why this is good for us is that the more competition you have out there, like anything else, will eventually bring the price down. Yeah. Tesla vehicles are really cool. I mean, we've got to sit in one and, and you know try them out and stuff, but it's still a very expensive car, even by today's standards. So if there's some other manufacturers doing electric vehicles, you might see it for a different rate. Some of the other examples of this, Nissan does and has made for many years a vehicle called the Leaf. Mm-hmm. Hyundai has a vehicle called the Ionic. So we're starting to see that there, but these are still one-offs as the majority of vehicles sold today, at least in the United States, are internal combustion. Their hope is to change this and get to electric vehicles and be able to compete that way. Older Kindle readers will lose store access to buy ebooks in August. Yeah, the list of these we'll go ahead and throw out on our social media. But if you have an older, like a really older uh, Kindle reader, there's going to become a time that you won't be able to get to the Kindle store and buy books. You'll still be able to use what's on there and you'll still be able to download to it. So it isn't completely cut off. But it is the first time that Amazon has completely disabled a group of Kindle readers. And because of the age and some other things, they're having to do this. But it is definitely something to be aware of. Now, Amazon is offering a trade-in program where you can Mm -hmm. upgrade your equipment. However, the trade-in values you get aren't that much. I I have an older Kindle reader. I looked at it. It was about $15. (laughs) So, you know, so let's just say, you know, that wouldn't even really buy me a coffee at Starbucks. But, um, okay, maybe not, but it it still wasn't a lot. (laughs) (laughs) New York City bids an official farewell to its last public payphone. Yeah, we just saw a public payphone at the UFO Festival. I wasn't sure what it was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. So, anyway, I I thought it was something the UFOs brought. No, Um, it's it's for Superman to change clothes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you know, what's he going to do now? I don't think he can get in them. Anyway, the last Monday, the last public payphone was removed from the streets of Midtown Manhattan and is heading straight to an exhibit in a local museum. Nice. So payphones have been disappearing. I do know that's very true. I didn't know they were completely gone. But with most people having cell phones and that type of thing, they certainly aren't used as much as they once were. So the idea of this is um, not terribly surprising. It just seems like there are still some people out there that would use phones, yeah. but, um, yeah. you know, uh, it's being replaced with things like Wi-Fi kiosks and other technology that's coming in and replacing all of this. So, such as it is, goodbye to the last payphone in New York City. New technology is forcing us to confront the ethics of bringing people Back from the dead. Okay, yeah, okay you so really got to explain this. Yeah, this is a weird story. I read it this was. and I'm like, you know, you know, what's going on here? This is being reported by Quartz. And it's this idea of uh, something they call a deaf advocate or digital inter- digitally interacting with someone that is no longer alive. Uh, digital surrogates of the dead are here. 
and they're evolving rapidly. So after the person has died, you can text to them, I miss you, and they will text you back, I miss you too. But that's a lie. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you really find some way to uh, have an interaction. No, it, would, it would be an AI. Or, yeah, it's or an AI that it runs, obviously. And that's where the topic gets a little bit weird. I'm not it sure to what extent this would necessarily be beneficial. Yeah, I do know that I, AI technology can respond and, and be very accurate and things like that. It could feel like you're texting with the person, but you're not really texting with the person. Yeah. You're yeah. making friends with an AI. Yeah, it's so, just weird. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, it's kind of a strange thing, but, you know, we're kind of getting into a strange new world on some of our tech. We've talked about this in the past. We're seeing things that 20 years ago were in Star Trek that are now down the street and in another 10 years will be available at the Walmart, you know, so. Yeah. And mm-hmm. interesting, interesting thing. So uh, this is something they're dealing with. This actually isn't that new. This idea has been around for, oh, five, six years now, I think. But um, it's definitely coming into forefront, and as AIs get better, we're seeing more of these type of things. The tough-to-forge digital driver's license is apparently easy to forge. Yeah, you know, so I'm a tech person, obviously. I mean, this is what I do in life, but I still have a hard copy of my insurance card in the car. Mm -hmm. I still carry my driver's license in the form of a card. I didn't know they had digital ones. They do. They, this has been something that has been around for a while. It's usually oh. something that augments, not replaces the physical ID. Yeah. And the idea is if you could make these secure and be able to have a way where it was guaranteed or you can't guarantee it, but at least reasonably hack resistant and something that you could depend on, it actually makes a lot of sense because when you would need to update your information, it would be instantly available stuff like that. You wouldn't have to get a replacement card. Now, my issue with this is that as much as I like tech, I don't want to be put in a position that I have to carry a smartphone. And this is one of my fights with things like Android Auto and some of these other technologies. They're cool and they're great, but they are starting to use them to replace what you would have originally had. And now all of a sudden to operate your vehicle or have your driver's license or that type of a thing, You have to carry a phone. So if your phone battery goes dead or you're out of range or it doesn't work for some reason, you've got a problem. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes and we'll keep on top of it. This is user-friendly 2.0. Got a great show coming up for you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest. Well, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, this week I have a really fun, interesting person on the show with me. His name is Gino Romo, and I learned while I was on the uh, a film set with him where he's working as an actor that he has a very long, extensive radio background, a bit of a personality. Gino Romo, thank you so much for joining me here on User Friendly. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Thanks. No, it's it's been a pleasure getting to know you. You have some really interesting stories, even <laughs> beginning with how you started in radio. Oh man, I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> well, about eight minutes and twenty seconds. So <laughs> oh, the man. condensed version's probably better. But how did you start in radio? You know, it was kind of on accident. Um, I was at a station in Salem. Uh, Oregon, uh, it, uh, KBZY back in the day, um, when they were on, uh, South Commercial, they've, they've changed locations since then. 
And that, you know, unfortunately, uh, the, the owner of that station, Roy Dittman, Mr. Dittman passed, okay. uh, just recently, just a couple of years ago, actually. Mm. So they have new ownership. But if you back up a few years, um, KBZY, interesting enough, I, I was interested more so in just doing, and at the time I was just ignorant about it. I wanted to get into, I wanted to do commercials and, and be the character guy on commercials. And that's actually how I went in. I, I talked to a guy uh, who was the program director and uh, Roy as well. And, and they did a couple auditions for me. And it was amazing to see in that old studio, the old reel to reels. Cause oh they, my God. they still had you just dated those. yourself. I did. But the cool <laughs> thing about it is I got to see it. I didn't yeah. have to touch it. Because right. it was outdated, and but they still had it okay. in the studio. Yeah, and so of course I'm my mind's going like, what in the world is this? And then I got you know uh, educated, sure, on the real radio okay. personalities, right? <laughs> that had to really work behind the scenes to make it hot, you know, on the radio. But you know, back in the day in the '60s, '70s, KBZY was one of the hottest stations, believe it or not, in Salem. Okay, and I a, a mentor of mine, which. I would later, 20-some years, go down the road and end up working with uh, Charlie Fox. Uh, he's an amazing guy, and he's still at KBZY really? today. Yeah. And uh, he was the hottest DJ around in that Salem market. And then he eventually moved up to Albany uh, and just blew up the airways with KIQY. And then he was on KFLY for a while. Well, I would, you know, it's such a long story because later on I end up, I end up meeting these people. Okay. But so KBZY put me on some spots and then the guy goes, I'm going to put you on Saturday night. So I was just like, hey, it's Gino, <laughs> super Saturday night. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Wow. And it was all recorded. So that's when I started learning how to record a voice track or record anything. And I didn't know if I was good. I didn't know if I was bad. I knew I didn't fit the demographic because okay. I was like in my 20s. Uh, but that's kind of how I stepped into a radio station. Wow. Okay, so that's <clears throat> it's an interesting start considering right. you didn't have a radio background. That they were that open to allow you to to give it a try and see how you did. And yeah, well, you know, the thing about it was is I I'm an actor, so I, I was an actor first. Um, I okay. would like to say because when I was in fifth grade, I got cast in Oliver, and that was when I kind of got the bug. Um, I didn't do any professional acting after that, but I remember that never left me, the Oliver right. show when I was in fifth grade. Um, <clears throat> so my thing was, I just wanted to make money being a character, you know, uh -huh. voices and things like that. I didn't really even know what a radio personality was until they said, well, this is what they call them when you're talking on the mic and talking over music. And I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of fun, you know? So that's kind of my mindset when okay. I walked in there. All right. So now you went from doing a an, a a late night show by yourself, but then you also became part of a morning troupe. Right after I uh, a little while later, I asked the um, program director. I just said, you know, how do I get in this full time? Because I was really trying to learn, but he didn't really want to teach me. I could tell, and yeah. I, I would just kind of, you know, I'd just kind of spy on everybody, sure. Who, whoever was on the air. I would just look at fly you on and, the wall, yeah, and just be a fly on the wall and think I could learn something. And, <laughs> He actually told me, he goes, you know, if you wanted to be full-time here, you'd have to leave and go uh, be at five radio stations I'd consider it. So I'm like, whatever, you know. So I left eventually. I just left due to jobs and stuff like that. And I ended up in, <clears throat> I ended up in Roseburg 
Um, it, uh, KKMX, I think is what it is. I'm not really sure. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> 104.5, I think it's, uh, Sam FM now, but it was back in the day. It was 104.5 Kiss FM. And we also had cool 102 or something like that. Uh-huh. We did all the car shows in, uh, the Roseburg area. And it's okay. a big deal for anyone in Oregon. They know about the fifties car shows and stuff. It was a pretty big deal when I was a kid. And so I, I went up there to uh, uh, to Kiss FM, and uh, I just walked in the door one day and just said, "I just want to learn about the FM dial because okay. I just came from the AM dial." Right? What's this FM thing? You know? And uh, <laughs> I, they they were really nice. They let me uh, come in and just watch the morning show. I just okay. said, "I just want to sit in the corner and yeah. and learn how these guys do this for a couple of weeks." But eventually, they they kind of pulled you to the main table. They were kids my age. Oh, oh, okay. You know I mean, they so were, they were your contemporaries. Sure, but they might have had a little. I mean, I, I know I'm older than at least one of them because that kid was fresh out of high school. But okay. the other gentleman had a you know degree from Indiana, and uh-huh. he's probably worked at stations. He was really good. He was the main guy on the mic. It was the McCray and Allen morning show, but okay. it became McCray and Allen with Gino Romo and, on it. the streets. Okay, so that I you know I just sat back and watched for a while and. At some point, they're like, hey, Gino, what do you think about this bit we're doing? And I, uh-huh. they started opening the mic for me, and I just a third voice. And just kind of became more natural. And it, yeah. it probably became more of a conversation at a table, not so much thinking about, hey, we're doing a show that's broadcasting. Right. Like, what kind of what kind of listenership do you think you were broadcasting to? Easily 18 to 49 female, because, okay. uh, you know, we did play a little bit of the today stuff. And, and what I mean that, I mean, I think this is, geez, 97, 98. Okay. You know, so you were playing that. But we liked that station format at the time. I remember it was like flash track, flashback Fridays. Okay. So you'd play 80s tunes and back-to-back Def Leppard. Or, Got it. You know. Nice. And so it was pretty much, uh, it was like a rock station, but not too hard. And it wasn't okay. pop. It was definitely a uh, certain format that wasn't uh, top 40 so much. So now how many years would you say you spent being on radio? Yeah, so I was at KBZY. I don't know, a couple of couple of years, I think I was there. And then uh, it uh, in Roseburg, I spent about a year, a little over a year. And then from there, I launch padded to the bigger market in that area, which would have been Medford. Medford, okay. um, I was at KTMT, which uh, back in the, it was a legendary, still kind of is a legendary station. Unfortunately, you know, they flip formats uh, and change names, which kind of loses that legendary status. But you know, the original of KTMT itself is a legendary name because that sits on the, that stick sits on top of Ashland. And so it's Ashland's a pretty, big, pretty one, widespread. One of the highest peaks in Oregon, actually. So you've done a lot in radio with no formal background. Truth. Wow. I really amazing. would have loved to go to broadcasting school yeah. just to like have that experience but once you got into it and kind of started rolling with it you realize well i'm glad i didn't waste that money i just kind of opened my mind some things just came come naturally to some people i uh, well you know i do understand that you are also an actor and we're probably going to have to have it back on a future a future episode of a user friendly but i thank you for joining me today i appreciate it yeah all right bill jeremy and gretchen guys take it away we'll be back after the break Welcome. 
Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to be discussing a question that comes in a lot, and that's dealing with right to repair. We've talked about this topic in the past on our show, and what this has to do with is the idea that you can repair your electronics yourself. So the controversy that was going around with all of this is the idea that you buy something and it breaks and you're locked into a certain network of repair people, or even worse, it can't be fixed. The company's motivation being that you'll buy new or something of that nature or go to their dealer and have to pay more to get it done. And then it also locks out small repair shops and all that kind of thing. We see this across the board. Car dealers, it's so complicated to work on your car that the mechanic may or may not be able to do it, down to our electronic devices. Well, Apple Computer has announced that they've made a shift in this, and they are now embracing the idea of right to repair. Now, it's an interesting thing. You go to their website. You can purchase the parts that you would need there. Say you wanted to change your battery on an iPhone or something of that nature. You can rent the equipment that's required to be able to do the repair. They charge $49 for a rental, and then they send it to you along with the parts, and then you get it done and you send it back. Then you also have the option of buying the equipment to do the repair. But of course, if you're just changing your battery or doing a one-off thing, then to buy something outright and pay for it may not be necessary, which is where the rental comes from. Now, the repair kit to fix the iPhone to replace a 1.1-ounce battery, this comes from The Verge, is a 79-pound package. Wow. Uh, That's kind of heavy. What? What, is it a sealed environment you you get and you got to stick your phone in there or something? Yeah, it's it's basically this, this tool that you put your phone in and it allows you to open it up properly. It's the same thing that they would use in a repair shop. And once you're able to do that, then you can get in and get to the internal components. And then they also provide instructions on how to do the repair and all that kind of thing and actually get it done. I mean, it does work, Mm -hmm. but it is this just enormous thing that is required. And it is uh, kind of interesting. Now, at the end of the day, it does work. You get all the different things you need. So what was in the kit was the repair manual, the jig to put the phone in a set of specialty screwdrivers, a kit to hold the phone and test it, another one that looks like some kind of a clamp, and a tester. And that's 79 pounds worth of stuff. 79 pounds worth of stuff. So it would almost be better if you you had a bunch of friends or family members that had that kind of phone, got together, oh, we all need to change our batteries now, so (laughs) get together and do it. Yeah, and and be able to do it. You know, it just... uh, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, it, wow. it, it just seems very, I mean, do you have to pay for the 79 pound thing to arrive? Well, that's the $49 rental fee includes that, uh, uh, as well as the ability to send it back. So, you know, it's, uh, and then the manual goes through and explains how to do everything. I mean, to take the iPhone apart, it's not an easy task. Uh, you have to pull the screen off. That's what the first device is for without breaking it. Uh, it's a machine that uh, essentially sucks the screen off the top. Nice. And then, uh, uh, once you get that done, uh, you get into the rest of the device. There's a heating pocket that clamps a ring of copper around the iPhone's band to evenly distribute the heat and melt the seal around the screen. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. I always uh, I remember you take the battery, the, the you take the back off of your phone so you don't mess with the front. Yeah, I don't right. understand why you'd want to mess with the front. Yeah, that's so, silly. I just it's well, that's the way you get into it apparently and. The individual that did this said that when he first tried to use this heat thing to pull the screen off, the heating machine threw an error code and he had to do it again. 
Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> he said the thing that was interesting is the manual actually did cover that situation. Mm-hmm. And there was a second hidden knob to put more pressure on the suction cup. But it was uh, <laughs> causing uh, cracks across the screen. Well, it turned out it was just suction cup residue. But, of course, you wouldn't know that. And it goes on from there. But the thing of it is, oh I think that you know, going with this, as complicated as this may be, it is kind of cool to see that Apple has actually come up with a way that you can do this yourself. And it does work, even if it is this massive setup. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, <laughs> well, I right to repair has been a thing for a long time because everybody, yeah, like you said before, you know, if you buy something and it breaks, either you pay to get it back or buy a new one, and it would be so much easier if you could just repair it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and I think that's where they're going with this. I know I like to fix my own stuff. Now, the only time I've successfully changed a screen on a mobile device was in an iPad, a 3Com iPad, many years ago. And mm. uh, since since then, the screens have gotten stronger. So knock on wood, I haven't broken one, which is no, why well, we haven't know. had to do that. But the point is, at the end of the day, uh, we're going this direction. Now, this is Apple. A lot of other companies aren't embracing this, but uh, we'll see where they go. And hopefully this will become a thing. Send us your questions. 503-766-6264. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. We will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Tech Wednesday this week, we were talking about some of the problems that is a concern being published by the government that we could have some electrical problems this summer, from rolling blackouts to power surges to just about everything else you could think of. Climate change and bad weather and all of that is being blamed as a contributor, as well as the fact that there's just not enough energy to go around when everybody's running their air conditioners and that type of things. Couple in some of the intentional shutdowns to prevent fires, or at least try to when it's hot and dry. And you're dealing with some problems that uh, you might want to address. Now, we've talked in the past about generators and that type of a thing, and that is a solution for being able to deal with these type of problems. But there's a whole other side of this, and that has to do with your electronics and protecting the devices in your house and power surges. So a power surge is defined as a short burst of electrical energy that can range anywhere from hundreds to hundreds of thousands of volts. A sufficiently powerful surge can damage or destroy electrical equipment. And since this can come in over anything metal connected to the house, which can include obviously power lines, but also things like telephone or cable wires, even metal pipes, it's impossible to completely stop a surge. So the circuit breakers in your electrical panel will offer a small amount of protection, but not particularly robust. Hmm. So the question is, is when you're dealing now, I have been told, and Jeremy and Gretchen, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, that I may have a little bit more electronic equipment in my home than most. You have way too much. I don't have a sarcasm (laughs) sign big enough for that, Bill. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, uh, you know, when I ran out of um, possible connections on my smart home lighting control system, and it has 98 ports. Uh, some said that it was, I had too many lights, and I just figured I went to a commercial version. I mean, you know, I don't want to hear that kind of negativity. Mm. However, each one of these mm-hmm. electronic components, each light switch, and in fact, the lighting fixtures themselves are many computers, LEDs, all that kind of stuff, on down to computers and televisions and video games and appliances and all that can be susceptible to power surges. 
and all of our modern equipment has computers built in. So right. I, what you're yeah. saying is that you have a need to protect all that equipment. Yeah, you have a need to protect all that equipment. <laughs> and there are some ways to do it. You can minimize this. The first thing is surge suppressors. This is stuff like a power strip or a UPS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we use these, them. Yeah, they're all over the place. They're, they're inexpensive, pretty easy to come by. A uh, power strip with a surge suppressor is just that. If the power goes out, it goes out, but it will mitigate the surge. And it usually has a circuit breaker built into the power strip that will click off in that event. A UPS takes that a step further that it has a battery. So it does the same thing, but it'll keep the device on for a little while. And the idea of that kind of equipment is you would plug it into your computer. And when the power goes out, it would be able to signal the computer or the power failure, shut it down safely and then turn off and, and hopefully block or at least minimize the surge. The problem is you can't plug a power strip into your range. Or, no, you can't. You know, your furnace or something of that nature. And all of these devices have computer chips now. And all of these devices are susceptible. My range is a very basic one. It only texts me when you open the oven door or if you need to look inside <sighs> to make sure that uh, there's nothing in there before. What? <laughs> Not, and, yeah, you and your smart devices. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm surprised a, you don't have, don't have the smart toilet. It's a, that that was a step. I, I've been told by my smart speaker that there are certain things I can do for myself, and um, I will never yeah, forget she, that. She's <laughs> smart. Yeah, you 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 can take care of that yourself. Yeah. But at the end well, of the day, know. I you know getting a text from your refrigerator that says the door has been open too long. I mean that's a necessity, right? So in any event, sure, um, it, it but, might be useful if you have a bunch of little kids. Yeah, you know, you know there are there are benefits to it. And one of the things about the range and the oven is that if you, it is a nice feature to be able to preheat your oven remotely. So you go by and get a frozen pizza or Papa John's or something, and you want it set up when you get home, you can turn it on. But a lot of people will store stuff in the oven, so you want to make sure there's nothing in it. And like all that. of that, I don't like that either. But it, it's not safe. <laughs> it's a, it is it's a, a common thing. practice. It's a thing. Yeah. So. The bottom line of it is, is there are some advantages to this type of technology. Uh, most of it, frankly, is Reagan, Reagan rights. I think I could live without all of that. But at the end of the day, there is a device that will help protect these things. And it's something that I invested in and actually got a little bit of a discount on my insurance for having it. Okay. And it's a thing called a whole house surge suppressor. A yeah. whole house surge suppressor? Yeah, yeah. You almost <laughs> exactly. got it. Surge suppressor. <laughs> yeah, it's there. So this is a device. I had it professionally installed by an electrician, uh, although I think I probably could have done it myself, but I just figured, you know, let it make sure it's done right. I hadn't done one before. And it goes on your circuit breaker panel. And the whole thing cost me about $400. Mm-hmm. And it is definitely something that I highly recommend because what it does is it protects at the point of the panel. And if there's electrical spikes, uh, it will shut the power down at that point. So it's like putting one of the surge suppressor that's in the power strip on your actual circuit breaker box. Huh. Yeah. So it's kind of like having some kind of like uh, electrical firewall. <laughs> you know? it, basic, basically, it is. Basically, it is. And you know, at the end of the day, they've done a lot of research on this type of thing, too. And it goes beyond just protecting the range and other stuff you couldn't easily put a power strip on. Even things like light bulbs will have a longer life. Wow. And, that's you know, cool. so, you know, while it's a, a minor thing, and in this day and age of LED bulbs, what we have usually lasts pretty long anyway. But the thing of it is, is you do see a benefit across the board. But the thing of it is, is for the $400 cost to upgrade, 
if you get hit with a power surge and it takes out even one device like a range or a television, you're going to spend more than that fixing it anyway. And a lot of this stuff is not covered under insurance either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's not. So, so something definitely you want to check your policy. You might be able to get a writer or that kind of a thing. But generally speaking, you're going to end up paying for this if you have a problem. And it is definitely definitely something to consider about. You can also put surge suppressors on things like phone lines and cable boxes. Uh, that's becoming less common now because we don't really have landline phones. And a lot of people still have cable boxes and cable TV, but even that's a thing on its kind of on its way out. If you're using a streaming box like a Fire TV or Rokio or something, those go over your Ethernet or wireless, so it's a little bit different. You don't have a physical cable coming in, but you still have a physical cable coming in to you power still have your them internet. Plugged in. Yeah, you still have them plugged yeah. into the wall. From that yeah. standpoint, you definitely yeah. you know want to think about this. But it's the other way that it isn't as probable. But definitely something to consider. Not a lot of money to do. And if you have a lot of electronic devices, it may be well worth it. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. Definitely look into some of those surge suppressors and other things to keep your stuff from blowing up. Cost you a lot of money. So tell us about the new Star Wars series. Kenobi, I think is the yeah, name. Yeah, there, there's that's what's coming up. It's going to be aired on the 27th, which of May, of May mm-hmm. which has already happened. so there you go yeah so so yeah it'll come out friday we record on wednesday so it'll be this friday so when when this airs it'll be yesterday that it came out and uh so that's cool so what's this series about it's about obi-wan kenobi the jedi you know uh and uh, what his life was like after general order 66 and he's had to go into hiding and we're gonna see some of the people that he encounters and Obviously, uh, Darth Vader is supposed to be one of these individuals. Yes. You know, his old buddy, Anakin, who's gone to the dark side. So that'll oh, be yeah. kind of interesting to see. You know, I, I'm, I'm liking the spinoffs. Now, I'm going to ask you a pointed question here. and We don't have a lot of time, but uh, it is interesting. I think most of our fans know that we are not the biggest fans of Kathleen Kennedy. And she's the person that currently runs the Star Wars component at Disney. And there's, we're not alone in that. There's a lot of controversy. There's some people that like her and some people that don't. And she's stating that we're finally at the end of that Skywalker era. What do you think about that? I don't think she understands anything about Star Wars. Okay. I don't so that's think she a... should have anything to do with Star Wars. So I see you don't I, have I'm a strong opinion on this at all. No, you know, it is interesting to see the original direction that George Lucas had with all of this and with Dave Filoni and some of those people still being involved, we're seeing some of that, I think, in a lot of the series. Mandalorian, I know we've really enjoyed, and a lot of the other ones. Um, the Bad Batch, I liked. Uh, some people did, some people didn't, but I enjoyed that. I liked it. I, I yeah. think Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau and a few other of uh, the directors and people, and a lot of the actors, I think they're the only reason why Star Wars still exists. Yeah, I think, and I think the direction is going to be important. You got to listen to the fans on these things, and mm-hmm. you know, balance it out. I, I mean, Book of Boba Fett was good, I, but then you know, Mandalorian. Anybody with a uh, with a jetpack is awesome. I mean, you know, there's some of the some of the most oh. um, 
intense people out there and uh, should be worshipped. But at the end of uh-huh. the, in my opinion, but at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think if we go too much off of that, because it's like the spinoffs have been great, but the last movies, maybe not so much. Yeah, but and I've I've heard some really horrible rumors that um, really shows that whoever she Kathleen Kennedy is bringing in does not understand Star Wars, the Force. They just don't understand. They they should go off and make their own thing. All right. Well, we'll see where this goes. So upcoming, we've got the cruise in Sherwood uh, car show coming up. We're going to be covering that. And then our next events on site are a number of Comic Cons coming up in August and September. I'm going to have to start sleeping up for that now because they're like weekends back to back. Until then, (laughs) this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.